Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again today. I am continuing my study in the book of Romans, and I thought I would finish Romans chapter 6 with four segments, but I ran out of time on the last segment, and I wanted to take at least one more and kind of deal with this whole, because it's such a vast subject of new creation. And, uh, you know, I think we miss the point when we think the gospel is simply about how I can get from here to heaven or escape hell. And I think much of our arguments and stuff are about those things when really, uh, while I do believe there are those things, I'm not taking anything from heaven, I believe that God's goal is to get what's happening in heaven to operate in the earth. His kingdom come, His will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to this planet to bring heaven to earth. And I read that to you from uh, a couple of translations in some of the past segments. I really, really encourage you that if you've not listened to some of the prior ones, to go back to my YouTube channel or my podcast or the RSS feed for your Android and review and listen to them, because I am saying so much meaty stuff in these teachings that I think you'll be blessed by doing that. And the easiest way to do it is go to my website, and in the upper right-hand corner you see the address there on the screen. There is icons that will take you directly to those outlets where you can watch the video on YouTube or you can listen to the audio portions. But we're talking about God bringing about His new creation project. Revelation 21, He says, Behold, I make all things new. God's plan is a plan of redemption. It's a plan of restoration. That is what all of the prophets prophesied concerning. And Jesus Himself, even when talking to the disciples, says, In the regeneration, you will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Amplified Bible says, In the messianic rebirth of the world, you will sit on twelve thrones. God is doing something to remedy the problem of this world. When you see language like uh, the collapse of an old creation, it's like I, I started last week telling you out of the book of Hebrews, He did not put the world to come in subjection to angels. He was not talking about a whole brand new planet. He was talking about the world to come, the new covenant world, living in the context of the new covenant world. And he's talked about that old creation and the old heaven and earth passing away like the folding up of a garment. They will be changed. That terminology is drawn from where Jesus said, we don't put a piece of new cloth into an old garment. In other words, we don't mix the new covenant and the old covenant, there must be a change from the old world, the old covenant, to the new covenant. In many places in the Scriptures where King James translates the word world is not the Greek word that deals with the globe, but an age. So he's talking about the passing away of a age and the dawning of a new world. And then there are other Greek words like that's used in uh, uh, the book of uh, uh, Hebrews that the world to come is not talking about the planet, but the ordered arrangement of that world. And so God is in the process of bringing about His new grace sovereign land, and He's in the process of heaven invading the earth and bringing about 
restoration and His kingdom to be the answer to the remedy of this world. And Jesus came as the fulfillment of that royal seed of David. And uh, in the book of Acts, when Peter stands up, or, or, or one of the apostles, he begins to declare how on the day of Pentecost, God's birthing of the church was a fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David that now Jesus, who is the fulfillment of that promise, is now king. Caesar is no longer Lord, but Jesus has become king and the orchestrator of this new world by the resurrection of the dead. And what He's done is come to make all things new. And as we read to you in prior segments, He comes and says, listen, that what matters is new creation. Let me just read to you again Romans 6 and then grab a few more of these verses. Try to finish here. Romans 6, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. We went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life, and a new land, and as a part of a new creation and the ongoing new creation project. That's what happened in baptism, the life of Jesus. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in this new grace sovereign country. And uh, so let me just go ahead and, and grab this verse as well here. I want to get this one before I move on in, out of the book of Galatians. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, he will of the, re of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he will reap of the Spirit life everlasting our everlasting life. And let us not grow weary, watch this, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For we will reap in due season if we faint not. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially those of the household of faith. You see what, what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to, to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, for in Christ neither circumcision nor any circumcision avails anything but a new creation. So Paul is telling them here, listen, uh, what you sow you reap. If you sow the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow the Spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. And he begins to talk about Christian behavior again, so that if you have the opportunity to do good to people, do good to them. You know, I've seen God change circumstances in people's lives by simply a soft answer turning away wrath or speaking kindly. You know, I remember I was in a restaurant not long ago, and, and thankfully there are, uh, you know, some restaurants that are open. And the waitress was uh, just frazzled, and she was taking a long time. And a lot of people were criticizing. Sometimes I think Christians are the most insensitive people as well on the planet. 
But when she came over to our table, she said, I apologize for just being so long. I am so sorry. I said, listen, man, we're just thankful for anybody that'll work. And she said, I know you're probably, I said, at least you showed up. She started to weep and she said, you know what? I've been here 12 hours today because nobody else would come in. And she said, I have just, you know, we're on a, we're trying to run this restaurant, which is three or four of us, and it's just frazzling us. And she began to just be thankful that I mentioned it to her. See, because sometimes, and and I left her a good tip, because sometimes we just insult them instead of realizing, you know what? There's ways that you can bring in little examples, God's new world, into this one. And when you do kind things like that, then you might reap back something, because I can tell you the next time I went into that restaurant, that late waitress was looking for my table to be able to wait on me. And so, you know, I just think that those are little simple ways that we can bring God's new world into our world, being kind to someone who may seem to be lashing out because they are trying to protect themselves from pain that's there. I wrote in my notes, sowing and reaping are divine principles, not only in giving, but also in how we treat each other. The life of the coming age, as translated everlasting life, is a result of what you sow now. He is admonishing this church, do not become weary in well-doing, even when it doesn't look like your efforts to make uh, a better world are working. You must persevere. Don't become weary in well-doing. Not through the works of the law or by passing of legislation, by living out the new creation that you now are. In other words, you start to fulfill the promises of God's uh, new world, into this one by how you persevere to continue to bring these kinds of behaviors into this new world. And as I shared with you before, when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism in Matthew chapter 3, he was uh, signaling that God's new creation project was now underway. When the dove landed on Jesus, as you have heard me teach in probably the first or second segment on Romans 6, the dove was a symbol that came from the Ark of Noah that right here is God's new world, and it is coming forth as Jesus is coming up out of the water, just like the Ark came up out of the water. And I showed you in the book of Peter how that that uh, Ark of Noah was a picture of water baptism, because when we go down into the water, the old world is crucified and left behind. When we come up out of the water, we enter into God's new world, God's new creation, and become architects of God's new world. I would ask you this question. What kind of a world would you like to leave for your children and your grandchildren? We are architects of the new world. For the world to come, I said in the last segment, He did not put in subjection to angels. He put them in subjection to man. What is man? He quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? When you made this vast creation, what is man that your mind was full of him? And you put him in charge of the works of your hands. We are stewards of God's creation. We are stewards of God's world. We are stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so when we start to act in certain ways, it brings God's new world, not just get us to heaven, but it gets heaven into us and gets heaven into our world. And so we are either architects of a new world. I was thinking the other day as I was watching uh, with my mother-in-law, Little House on the Prairie, that this program uh, from when I was younger has got so many principles that have got good morals in it that starts to teach them how to treat their neighbors right, how to get over prejudices and how to serve one another. And it just was it's so refreshing to be able to watch because it really begins to... We, we are so inundated with stuff that's teaching us revenge and hate and all that kind of stuff that I sometimes think we just need to have a change. 
But making that statement, when Jesus came up out of the water, He went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And when He comes down the mountain, He comes down having passed the test of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And He comes down the mountain in the power of the Spirit, and He goes and teaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He's releasing the constitution of the kingdom. I think it is interesting to compare that in the Old Testament, when Moses comes down the mountain, after he comes up out of the waters of the Red Sea, he goes into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down with the law, and he brings it to 12 tribes, and 3,000 people drop dead. Jesus comes down the mountain, having been tempted by the devil, comes down out of the mountain, and He delivers the Beatitudes, not to twelve patriarchs, but to twelve apostles. And when you get to the upper room, three thousand are added to the church. That's a powerful comparison. Under the Old Covenant, Moses gave them the law. Jesus in the New Covenant is giving them the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at these for a few minutes uh, in this segment, because He's teaching them the constitution of the kingdom. To me, A beatitude is an attitude you need to be in. It's an attitude that teaches you, first of all, how to receive the kingdom, and then attitudes that teach you how to release and minister the kingdom. And so what Jesus is teaching here is the constitution of the kingdom. Let me begin reading in verse 1, Matthew 5, and seeing the multitudes. He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you're blessed. He's talking to an audience who are still in an old covenant because the cross had not yet come, and He's introducing what it takes to be able to receive the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing He said, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit. In other words, He's saying to them, if you don't understand the deficit that you've been in for hundreds of years under this mosaic system, and you don't understand how devoid of spirit this thing has been. It's all full of human performance, but if you don't get poor in spirit and recognize your need from God, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. He said, but when you get poor in spirit, you recognize your need. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Under the old covenant, you were mourning in the new covenant. He was about to comfort them that mourn in Zion, and He was telling them, as Isaiah 40 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and tell her her warfare is accomplished. I think it's interesting as well that in the book of Ecclesiastes, He says there is a time for every purpose under the heaven. There's time to kill, there's time to mourn, there's time to uh, embrace, time to refrain from embracing, time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. That's an old covenant paradigm. What He's showing you in the New Covenant is what time it is. And what time it is, is it's no longer time to mourn. Under the Old Covenant, you mourned. In the New Covenant, God wants to wipe tears from off of faces. In the Old Covenant, it was time for war. But in the New Covenant, Jesus has won the battle, and it's time for peace. In the Old Covenant, it was time to weep. But in the New Covenant, God is wiping tears from all eyes. In the Old Covenant, it was a time to refrain from embracing. But in the New Covenant, God is embracing the rejects. God is embracing the broken. God is embracing those who have been wounded in an Old Covenant paradigm. In other words, there's a shift that's going on here as there is a change of what time it is. There is a time for every purpose under the heavens. And so He's telling them what time it is. 
and he's talking about the season. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he shows them a different way of responding, even as he comes as a lamb dumb to the throne. Because he opens not his mouth. And he's meek and lowly in heart. It says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's showing them how to inherit the earth is not through war and divisiveness and pain and inflicting death and hell on each other. It's time to change the world the way Messiah taught us how to change the world. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the old covenant, you never could become righteous because you had to jot, trot, cross every T and dot every I. But in the new covenant, He's offering us a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He said, Blessed are they that hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In the new covenant, because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus, who has made us accepted in the Beloved. And this word reign is a kingdom word. We reign not when we get to heaven, we reign in this life. I wish that I could really get this message into the minds of God's people, is that this gospel of the kingdom is not other world stuff. It is what will transform this world and be part of the ongoing God making all things new. Jesus began that. We should be participators and architects of the future of our new world for our children. So he teaches you how, first of all, in these first Beatitudes, how to receive the kingdom. Now he's going to teach you how to release them. And in the verse 7 he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He tells them in one place, go learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. They were like in their religious rules, ready to stone somebody to death and ready to kill everybody that comes and goes. And you know their rules were more important than anything else. And Jesus said, if you need to learn what this means, I'm more interested in mercy than I am sacrifice because I can take people that are broken. And that's what Jesus called. If you look at the 12 apostles that He called, all of them were men that were fishermen, tax collectors, you know, uh, you know, different architects, different backgrounds in life, and you know, uh, he he chooses them. I I I, I was watching recently again I, uh, this this series called the Chosen, and uh, you know, Matthew of course was a tax collector, and I talked about him a little bit in the last segment, and how when Jesus walked by the receipt of customs, he calls Matthew. Matthew had been observing him from a distance and saw some of his miracles, and Jesus said, "Follow me." And so, you know, when and the character in this show, it has Matthew as this like uh, numbers geek. He's educated. He's almost like you know, kind of like what we would call the geeks in school that were like to write everything down. Like they crunch numbers. They excel. They were the smart, the brainy people. And so he was promoted a lot in Rome and lived well. But you know, everybody hated him because he was a tax collector. And Jesus calls Matthew, and Matthew. Uh, follows Jesus. And Peter's upset. Peter says, Lord, don't you know what kind of a man this is? Don't you understand? When he goes to the Samaritan, when he goes to the Zacchaeus, don't you understand what kind of people these are? And he's looking at Jesus and said, don't you This man is hated. This is a tax collector. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Master, this is highly unusual. And Jesus looks back at him and smiles and says, get ready for the unusual, Peter because you're going to see a lot of stuff that's unusual. 
But you see later, even as Peter uh, is, uh, you know, Matthew, he's writing down everything Jesus does, and he's recording all the miracles, and he's recording all the stuff, and, and Peter's like, man, you need to stop writing everything down. You need to stop doing that because they're trying to find ways to catch Jesus up on his words. If you write them down, then they're going to have evidence against him. And so Jesus, or so Peter goes to Jesus, because Peter, he's the rambunctious one, and, and he goes to Jesus. He says, listen, Matthew, you need to tell him to stop writing everything down. And Jesus smiles again and says, Peter, don't worry about it. We're going to need some of the stuff that Peter wrote, that Matthew wrote down later on. And I thought to myself, I grinned because he was writing the book of Matthew, literally. And he said, I called him because of his gift. I called him that the things that sometimes you hate might just be your gifting. He said, I called you, Peter, and I know you like, uh, you know, like order, and you like to know where we're going next and how much it's going to cost and how to get ready for it. But he said, you know what? That's, that's part of your nature, Peter, is to want to get stuff organized and built. And he says, you know what? I might can use that later on because I'm going to, and you know, and you could tell what Jesus is thinking is later on, Peter, you're going to build my church and I'm going to need somebody that could put some stuff together. I'm going to need some fishermen because I'm going to need some people that are fishers of men. In other words, he takes what we think are common things and he uses them to bring about his new world. And so when he's telling him, you're blessed if you're merciful because you're going to receive mercy, once again, it goes back to the same principle that I was talking about in Galatians. You reap what you sow, and when you reap and you sow good things like mercy, you're going to reap mercy back, and you are bringing a fruitfulness of God's new creation world into your world. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If we need anything to bring this new world into light and life right now, it's some peacemakers, some people that can speak some calm to a storm. That doesn't mean everything is all right, because like I said before, part of this new creation project is to bring about justice, but not man's justice. God's justice. And sometimes God's justice looks like forgiveness. Sometimes it looks like mercy. Sometimes it's being reconciled to one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all may ever evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And in that context, after giving the Beatitudes, he says, for you are the salt the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He's talking about what brings his new world into this world and invades this world is you're the salt, you're the light, you're the city set on a hill. He grabs that in Revelation 21 and says, Behold the bride, the Lamb's wife, and I saw the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming down out from God out of heaven. The city of God is not a place, it's a people. It is the city set on a hill that cannot be hid, that is the distribution center of God's new creation project. And then he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. 
For verily I say to you, this is a powerful scripture, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle will not pass until uh, from the law till all be fulfilled. Now let me tell you something. When you see, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill it. That's exactly what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection. As He fulfilled every jot, tittle of the law, paid every price that the law could demand, as if He paid the last payment, like you would pay a covenant on a truck payment, and you would pay your last payment. He did not destroy it, He fulfilled it, and when He fulfilled it, it could be rolled together as a great scroll and say, it makes no more demand on you. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, that which is old is now fading away. That covenant is no longer in force. If we, ladies and gentlemen, are not living in the new heaven and the new earth right now, then according to Matthew 5, we are still under the law, because not one jot or tittle of the law will pass until all of it has been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets to bring us into God's new creation project. When the old heaven and the old earth passed away, a new heaven and a new earth came on the scene. That new heaven and that new earth, as I told you in prior segments, was found. That old heaven and old earth was seen in their old covenant and their old temple. It was the Bethel. It was the connecting point where heaven and earth met. But in the new covenant, God meets with us in His new temple. And we are His new temple, because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We are are His new temple. We are where the heaven and the earth come together, the human and the divine, the new creation in the new temple of God. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things are passed away. And all of a sudden, God begins to rear back in chapter 21 of Revelation and says, Behold, I am making all things new. But He does it from the center point. And I believe it is in the chapter in Revelation where He says, that He's the beginning of the creation of God. I think it is to the church that is at uh, that that saying that that He He promises them. I'll make Him a pillar in the temple of my God. You go no more out, and I'll write upon Him the name of my God and the city of my God. And He says to them, I am the faithful witness and the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus was the prototype. He was the first begotten from the dead. He's the first begotten of a brand new species, and now the federal head of a new creation. These Beatitudes and these behaviors that I've described over the last five segments are what brings God's new world into visible manifestation as we cooperate and co-work with Him to bring about His new creation. When He was asked by them in Acts, when we restored the, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Judea and Jerusalem. In other words, I'm going to restore the kingdom, but I'm going to do it through a people. What is man that you're mindful of him? You put the world to come in subjection to a people. My question is, what are you going to do to bring about God's new creation world into your environment, into your home, into your family, into your community, into your government? You're the spout where the glory comes out. You're blessed when you're a peacemaker. Well, we're out of time. We do need your help to stay on the air. So if you could sow a seed into this ministry, the easiest way to do it is follow the link on the screen or the QR code. It'll take you directly to a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You can set up a monthly debit there or give a one-time gift. 
whatever you'd like to do. You can also sow by sending a check or money order to this number that will come on the screen, or you can call the phone number on the screen. Someone will take your call. If no one answers, leave a message. We will return your call, and you can give that way. But we need your help today. Do it today. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.